0: Do you believe? We have a great show for you guys today. We're recording on Father's Day, so it's Josh here, and I'm recording with my dad, John. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back.
1: We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box, back out to Allen, History, final. back. Tie game! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner, he's got it. Bases loaded, two out. Right, back at the wall. Time game! John Cena!
0: We're back, baby. It's the Charity's Tribe. Pitch your free throws because they have free. So 250 coming hot at you guys and so 249. And I'm flanked on my left by my father, John Fisher. Uh, and we were doing a show together on Father's Day um it's so interesting I do the intro I mean I've done the intro so many times and you listen to the show dad so I've done the intro so many times and if there's another person in the room I could do it pretty flawlessly like pretty seamlessly but if I'm by myself having to record the intro I have to do it like six seven eight times I just can never get it right why I don't know. I have have no idea. And I also, foolishly, I had like a feeling in the back of my mind that maybe we we would get to record together. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. We've been having guests lately. So I didn't know how that was all going to unfold. So I only brought one microphone home. So if there's a slight lull in the conversation, it's just me passing back and forth the microphone or holding it in his face. I'm not some e-news kind of guy on the red carpet. So I'm going to have to kind of have some quick handwork here. um But it's Father's Day uh, and his the theme. We'll kind of go try to go four down territory because I know you like that, Dad. I like I know four you. Down. Yeah. And so what we'll do is uh for four down territory at the end of it, I'll ask you your favorite sports memory. We'll get that ready. And we'll do a two minute drill with you today. So I have one of those ready for you to go. So that's, yeah, surprise. I know you like that. So question number one for you, and this is a big one. I'll, I'll hand you over the mic. I've heard of the father son. Duos. So I haven't really experienced any. So I haven't experienced. I didn't experience Bonds. I didn't experience Griffey. That was before I was born. And you know I've seen half the Mannings. You know I I don't know the rest of these father son duos. Um, We have Cole Anthony coming in, but Greg Anthony I wasn't around for. Uh, We may get to see LeBron James and Bronny James, and I want to hear your thoughts on that as well. But top two, three, four father son duos in sports history in your eyes, because you've seen both sides, you've seen them both play? Right.
1: Okay, so I would have to say, and I'm not a big hockey guy, you're not a big hockey guy, but I think number one probably has to be, because you had asked me this before and I was thinking about it this afternoon, uh, Bobby and Brett Hull. Um, Bobby is one of the great hockey players of all time, and Brett Hull was a scoring champion, uh, regular all-star, he was a phenomenal hockey player. Uh, I think, I'm not sure, but he's, like, right up there with Wayne Gretzky in playoff goals. That's how good he is, Brett Hull. Yes, so I think they, they, are, they have to be up there. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, Eli Manning is phenomenal. I mean, Eli Manning was phenomenal, but, uh, you know, his brother— Peyton Manning is one of the great quarterbacks of all time. Their father, Archie Manning. So you've got three really solid quarterbacks, one being one of the great ones of all time. That's definitely has to be way up there. Um, NASCAR, Dale yeah. Earnhardt, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Very good, right? Um, Griffey, I, you know, bonds and bonds, Griffey and Griffey, um, that's a tough call. I, I, I Obviously, numbers-wise, um, you know, Bonds has those numbers. Obviously, that goes back to your sh- your interview of last week uh, with the steroid era. And, you know, you look at Barry Bonds' numbers versus Ken Griffey Jr.'s numbers, and obviously Barry Bonds has the, the bigger numbers, more home runs. Uh, one thing about Bonds, Barry Bonds, is the stolen bases. He's got like 500-plus stolen bases, and he did that, a lot of that damage long before the um, steroid era came in. Uh, so you know,
0: there was one season where he had, I'm going I'm I'm to fact check both of us right now, I believe it was 39 homers and 50 stolen bases on the Pirates.
1: Right. And, you know, he, he, he Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before the steroids ca- kicked in. He was already one of the great baseball players of all time. Uh, and although Ken Griffey was an integral player on, you know, the Big Red Machine, he has a couple of World Series rings, I think if you're going stats-wise, just strictly stats-wise, uh, Bobby Bonds may be the more dynamic player.
0: Then Ken Griffey senior. Yes. Yeah. Thank okay. And Bonds does, by the way, have 500 plus stolen bases, which is completely out of this world. And and they played together. I and mean, you have Cecil Fielder and Prince Fielder, but I don't know if they're on the same level because Prince Fielder, unfortunately, his career was cut short terribly, and he was a great player. And so the now the holes didn't did the holes play together or did I did I miss that? No,
1: did not. I don't. I don't believe they they didn't play together. I mean, the, right. So the, the Griffey thing is is obviously these guys played together. They homered, I believe, in the same game. So the Griffey thing has a lot of like uh, splashiness to it. Um, Then there's the Boones, right? Um, Aaron Boone, the current manager uh, of the Yankees, who was a very successful baseball player, and Brett Boone, his brother, who was a very successful baseball player, and their father, Bob Boone, who was an all-star catcher. So, you know, but they're not in that Griffey-Bonds family category. They're not there. They're not there. Uh, and then I think basketball wise, probably Rick and Brent Barry.
0: Rick Barry, another Believe host. He's a, he. He's uh, got he's got a, a Warriors show on the network. Good guy. Yeah, that I can't. Are there any other? Because I guess now it's now is about to be the time.
1: I mean, I, yes and no. I mean, I guess you could have had guys over the years whose sons emerged as you know. I mean, listen. Magic Johnson could have had a guy in the NBA. Larry Bird could have had a kid in the NBA. Michael Jordan's sons, I believe, played college basketball, you know, but they weren't, you know, they just weren't, you know, that kind of a player. Um, Rick Barry, I get, who is obviously a host in the Believe Network, Rick Barry was a unbelievable offensive player. Uh, he's an NBA, he has a championship ring. Um, he's one of the great free-throw free, free throw shooters. He, you know, mastered the underhand uh, free throw. He's one of the great free-throw shooters of all time, one of the great scorers of all time, Hall of Famer. And Brent Barry wasn't bad. You know, was not a bad basketball player. So, you know, they, they definitely, uh, NBA-wise, you know, impressed to think of anyone else who really could combine for, you know, that kind of uh, production you know you, you i guess you could always find a guy who's you know whose dad was like dominant or whose son was dominant and then then you've got the cross sport guys um Calvin Hill played running back for the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl champion I believe and Grant Hill his son Grant
0: Hill's dad was a was a cowboy 100% wow you know Grant, I'm, we're going to veer away so much on this show, and I think it's in, the basketball thing to me is interesting because it may be a hard, especially to play together, and I think now we're, we're seeing basketball is just skyrocketing, right? There's basketball skyrocketing. So the whole idea, the whole big thing is, can Bronny Jr. play with LeBron James Sr.? And let alone, can he make it to the NBA? It's more, who... In that regard, would it be more impressive that his kid made it to the NBA for his father? Would it be more impressive that LeBron was able to stick around that long?
1: I think it's to stick around that long. I mean, you see, for example, Doc Rivers' son, right, made it to the NBA. Um, Not nearly as good as Doc Rivers. Uh, Doc Rivers was, you know, an all star basketball player. Uh, But I think, you know, with Griffey being able to play with his son, I think you see baseball as opposed to. you know, basketball or football, you can really, you can hang around in baseball. Baseball guys do play into their 40s. Um, you're not going to see a lot of football players at 40. You know, obviously, you got number 12, but, uh, you know, you don't really, it's, you know, it's it's quarterbacks, yeah, but, you know, obviously, Clay Matthews, uh, his father was a great football player. There, That's another good tandem, by the way, the Matthews. The Longs. And the Longs, even, yes, really good. In fact, the Longs may even be better. Well, yeah, the Longs may be better than the Matthews. And, I mean, you know, a football player, it, it's really hard to hang on. And as great a physical beast as LeBron James is, you know, his son's, what, in 10th grade?
0: About to be. And we saw him play. I mean, he's a top, top 25 guy on his, on his recruiting on ESPN ESPN has been top 25 number 24 I believe but he that's after his freshman year and we I went to a game you remember I went to a game with Toss and our other buddy Brandon I went to a game first of all that was packed to the brim I could not fathom a high school game being like that packed to the brim celebrities there he really didn't play like, he, there's guys ahead of him on the team. And now, granted, some of them are going. One of them's going to Stanford, top 10 recruit. Another one's going to Kentucky, another top 10 recruit. But he play, he was like the seventh man on the, off the bench as a freshman. But still, like, you know, I, I don't know. Granted, against his own competition, he's great. But against older and bigger players, he's not there yet. So I think it's tough. It's already a lot of pressure, I feel, on a young kid to even make the NBA, let alone play college basketball.
1: Right. I think you're going to see you're going to see a couple of things. Um, You know, first of all, LeBron James went straight out of high school, but he was. The high school player, there was no one, you know, he was the number one high school player. He was the king. And, you know, I don't know that, you know, we don't know what his son is going to do because you really aren't going to see that until 11th or 12th grade you're not going to really see how he physically develops until 11th or 12th grade. Then he'd have to be so dominant in 12th grade, you know, that he's, you know, going to either be some kind of one-and-done kind of guy and then jump into the NBA. But that's still four years from now. And we see LeBron James. He was, I thought, having an unbelievable year. I thought that fact that he was leading the league in assists was really cementing him as one of the, you know, I'm a, I'm a LeBron over Michael guy, and I think that leading the league in assists would have really shown you something about LeBron James's basketball ability. Uh, th- that's just spectacular. But then again, last year, not this year, but last year, he missed a chunk of the season. You know, there's wear and tear on LeBron James. Is LeBron James going to be limping around the court? In four years, you you know you tell me I don't know I don't really know
0: that that's going to happen. Well, his game's going to have to change. We see it all the time. Look, Jason Kidd's game changed for him to play up in up into his older years. Vince Carter for him to play as long as he did, his game has to change. I think you know everyone looks at Tom Brady, and I think that's the anomaly. I, I, I could, if I told you when I was a kid rooting for the Pats. Hey, this quarterback, by the way, is going to play until he's forty, until his early to mid forties. Would you have thought that was crazy as a quarterback in the NFL? Well,
1: I, I would have been focused on how much I hate you because you were rooting for the Pats. So I don't know if I would have really thought about that being possible. No, I, I, I you know what? No, I, I you know, listen, right? And you know, did anyone first? Of all, you know, who thought Tom Brady was going to do any of this? But right, I mean, Drew Brees, you know, this is not even a first round. These guys are not first round draft picks. Um, and yet they're still hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. And, you know, look, you see, you know, the great Peyton Manning was really a shell of himself when they won the Super Bowl. By the time the Broncos won the Super Bowl... That wasn't Peyton Manning. That was game-controlling Peyton Manning. It wasn't dynamic Peyton Manning. And his neck and his shoulder. And next thing you know, he was retired. He couldn't, you know, the phys- the physicality, the physicalness, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, so, yeah, maybe LeBron James can change his game a little. But it's, you know, the NBA, and the NBA, I think, has just gotten harder and harder to play in. There's younger guys, you know, that are just really good every year. And you see these young guys, then you think, oh, this is the best young class ever. And the next thing you know, it's another great young class. And I just think it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if he hangs, if he wants to hang on just to hang on. Or if he just says, hey, listen, I can't play at the level that I'm accustomed to. I mean, one thing to Brady's credit is there hasn't been any kind of crazy drop off. Right, he's still playing well. Um, Drew Brees was beat up last year; he got hurt, but he played. He played one of the great games I've ever seen at the end
0: of the season, where what he missed one completion. Yeah, he's like twenty-nine of thirty for four touchdowns against the Rams. Maybe that game was ridiculous.
1: Right, right, and so you see, you know, these guys really haven't lost a step, so they haven't had to make that decision. Oh, uh, can I still do this? You know, LeBron James, you know, much like a Michael Jordan or a Larry Bird, at some point, Bird's back gave out on him, but at some point, you know, you do have, you know, the pride in the fact that, hey, look, if I'm not going to be able to play at that level, am I hanging around just to play with my son or am I going to sit in the stands and cheer for him? And that's going to be a tough choice.
0: And if he, and if, and if Bronny does develop, become a good player, he's 6'2 now. Let's say he grows 6'6", develops his skills as a point guard. All of a sudden, he's a top-five pick. I mean, there's no block the Lakers. He may have to move teams to go play with his son. There's a situation where that goes. Or, like, the Lakers have to make moves. It's, it's, there's, like, a lot of, like, hurdles and leaps that he'll have to make, I feel, to get that going.
1: I think play with and play against are two different things. You know, play with is another difficult thing. Um, You know, obviously in baseball, there's room at the end of the bench. Uh, Ken Griffey Sr., to his credit, was an amazing, amazing athlete. Um, Fast, uh, good strength, and he was the kind of ball player that could just hang around as your DH or your fourth outfielder. Because uh, he was just good enough. Uh, he wasn't the same ball player, obviously. He was with the Cincinnati Reds, but he was good enough to, you know, be that other guy on the the Seattle Mariners. But that's that's a that's just a fluke. I mean, that's
0: a- how was Mahomes' dad? Was he good in the Mets? Because that's another cross-port one.
1: Good. Okay, so Pat Mahomes, senior, uh, had a good year with the Mets. Um, Then he had a kind of okay, mediocre year. He had, like, some decent seasons out of the pen and then some kind of just journeyman seasons out of the pen. I don't think—he's not nearly the baseball player that Pat Mahomes is the football player. Uh, There's no comparison. Uh, But he was a—you know, listen, look, you know, we say it all the time. The guy made it in the major leagues. He played in the major leagues for years. Um, And— he did have one very fine season with the Mets, and then he's had he had a couple other good seasons here and there, uh, but not, you know, he's not a Bonds, he's not a Ken Griffey, uh, you know that thing. And like I said, I think the best cross sport I could think of, and I listen, I could be missing somebody, I definitely could be, but the best cross sport I could think of was Calvin Hill and Grant Hill, because Calvin Hill really did play running back. He played for the Cowboys legitimately and contributed, and. um Grant Hill, you know, is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, that was the tangent I promised that I actually didn't go off on, was going to be saying Grant Hill has got to be one of the most underrated players in NBA. No one like him, Rip Hamilton, are like all-time underrated guys that no one brings up when they bring up really electric-type players that can take over a game or can be a potentially number one guy on a team or like an unbelievable number two at least. Right, well, Grant Hill was an
1: end-to-end player. So he could defend, he could rebound, he could score, he was an all-star. Um, he was just very good at every facet of the game um, and just, an, just a, a, an excellent player. Underrated, I think Rip Hamilton is one of the all-time underrated NBA players. Uh, you know, took his team to a championship uh, in the college ranks, took his team to a championship, I believe, in the pro ranks. So you look at him, and and this was one of the great catch-and-shoot guys, I think, of all time. Coming off a curl, coming off a pick, catching that ball and shooting, uh, he came from that same kind of system uh, that you saw with Ray Allen. Uh, I think Ray Allen is actually probably maybe better than than Rip Hamilton, but Rip Hamilton was so underrated and he it's that similar kind of mid range jumper that, that is, you know, incredibly underrated in the NBA today, where yeah, you know, okay, you're not draining threes like Steph Curry, but you come off a curl and bang from, you know, fifteen or twenty, next thing you know, you're just accumulating points. And and Rip Rip Hamilton had a really underrated great
0: career. Yeah, he was fun to watch. Great, good in the Wizards. Obviously, gets that championship with that Pistons team that had a great starting five. And had they taken Carmelo Anthony, that franchise would be in a completely different situation than they are now versus Darko Milicic, which is a comp- which is one of the all it's one of the all time botches of all. It's, it has to be. How do you not? How do you not pull the trigger on Melo, who had just won Natty? And you go for this complete unknown. But that, thing, that kind of thing that kind of thing happens all the time. Father's Day theme away. You, you mentioned it kind of briefly or touched upon it. My teams are the Patriots, Red Sox, and Celtics. And as we kind of discuss time and time again, I've seen uh, between those three teams alone, and not including my fanhood for Ohio State, I've seen 10 professional championships. Because I won't count hockey. Because I'm not a Bruins fan. So I've seen 10 professional championships in my lifetime. Ten. No, yeah, yeah, the Bruins won. I, I, I won't, I won't, I won't count that to me because I don't root for them. I don't actively root for the Bruins. But I've seen ten. On the teams I enjoy, I've seen ten in my lifetime. And in my lifetime, between the Jets, the Knicks, and the Mets, you've seen in my lifetime at least zero championships happen. And we we know that. We talk about that every time and time again. You know, um, but all those teams seem to be kind of middling. Jets making headlines again this week for reasons that were frustrating you. So a big thing we like to do, especially New Yorkers, love to do is GM from the couch. So the Knicks, the Jets, the Mets—real quick, what would you do? Because the Mets are closer than you think the, than the Knicks and the Jets for sure. What are they? What's the What's the next steps to fix those teams and get them in the right direction? Jets, Knicks, Mets—you can go in any order you want.
1: Well, you know, I honestly the loss of this baseball season as a Mets fan, I thought it was actually devastating because I actually thought that the Mets as opposed to the other teams, actually had something going. Um, Locked down DeGrom, so you've got your ace. Um, you know, Batances is a risk, but I did think that, listen, their big problem last year, we know, you know, if they had saved half the games uh, that were blown, they would have made it to the playoffs. So, you know, you really had, you know, they they did put a lot of effort into fixing that bullpen. You have a decent starting rotation, you know, headlined by arguably one of the best pitchers in baseball. So I think the pitching end of it, actually, if that bullpen uh, had come through, really would have been very good. And I think if you look at the team, um, you know, you have a guy coming off of the, you know, the rookie of the year. Uh, does he have a sophomore slump? I don't know, but I don't really think so. I think he's, you know, you've got the polar bear. You've got McNeil. I, I think McNeil's great. Um, and I like Conforto. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're solid, really. I, I thought if you look at Rosario, Rosario's career has gone in the right direction all the way through. I think uh, the catcher Ramos contributed last year mightily. Um, I think he might have had more RBIs than the Yankees catcher. And, you know, just saying that alone is kind of shocking, but it's amazing. Um, And then you get Nimmo coming back, um, you know, Cespedes coming back. And I think the big low-key pickup last year, J.D. Davis, was tremendous for the Mets. Uh, He was great. And you still have Dom Smith without even a place to play. And he showed that he could play. I really thought the Mets had a really fine team. I think, you know, listen, the biggest problem for the Mets is that the Braves and the Nationals are in their division. Uh, if it, you know, but otherwise, you know, and now, right, now obviously the Phillies did a great job retooling. You're right. You're right. So, the, you know, the National League East has gotten, you know, all of a sudden went from like, eh, not not a good division at all to actually one of the better divisions in baseball so am I happy with the Mets I'm th- actually I think the Mets have done a great job but I do feel that hey there's just a very tough road to get out of that National League East so you have to kind of keep either your young guys, the, the young guys have to either start coming through and they're going to either have to deal with Syndergaard or find a number different number two starter but other than that no, I think the Mets are okay I'm happy with what the Jets did. I'm not a huge Adam Gase guy, but you know we'll give him a chance. Um, I think the Jets did the right thing. They didn't do the sexy thing. Um, Obviously, I thought C.D. Lamb was the best receiver in football, and the sexy thing would have been to take C.D. Lamb. Uh, The right thing was to take the lineman, build from the line. You know, looking, you know, it's easy to, you know, second-guess Douglas. I mean, he obviously signed a couple of guys to the line like Fant who could prove to be very good. Uh, But obviously, you had the guy on the Saints, for example, who's now a free agent. You kind of wish you had some of that money back and you could have invested in him in your offensive line. Uh, They got the good center out of Denver. Um, so I think that you know they they did well with the offensive line. Um, obviously, people are clamoring about oh the weapons, the targets, the weapons, the targets. You know what I I I you have Le'Veon Bell, so you have a dynamic running back. Um, you you know you have. Crowder, who's a very, very good slot receiver. You have to hope, you know, listen, you know, oh, they lost. You know, Robbie Anderson was okay. I'm, you know, I don't think it's – we don't need to really put a bust of Robbie Anderson in, you know, the Jets' Hall of Fame so quickly. Um, and I think that, you know, Perriman was a good trade for Robbie Anderson. I think that that was fairly even. And, listen, you took a receiver in the second round. Um a good, But I'm just saying, you know, a good receiver. And, and a good receiver, you know, a, a, an early-round receiver in the NFL should contribute in a big way. He doesn't have to be the first-round pick. Um, and you, there's plenty of guys in the NFL, and you can name many more of them than me, that are top receivers in the NFL that did not go in the first round. And I'm hopeful that, you know, Mims is that guy. I think the defense is solid. I mean, you've got C.J. Mosley coming back. I think if you look at the first half of that Bills game in the beginning of the year with C.J. Mosley and then the rest of the season, the defense was not the same. Uh, He is the captain of the defense. Um, You have to hope the guy they drafted out of Alabama last year starts riding his ship uh, at tight end. You have to hope Herndon, who kind of was great as a rookie, was all rookie, uh, on the all-rookie team than missed last year. You have to hope that he contributes a tight end, uh, and then you have to hope that somehow, some way, they're able to work out something with Jamal Adams. Uh, you know, Jamal Adams had a great breakout year last year, and, you know, technically he's under contract. Technically he should play, uh, but I think they, they have to work out something with him so that, both sides are equally happy and unhappy. And, you know, then you've got a defense. Uh, also, with Brady leaving, there is an opening. I mean, obviously, Belichick's still there, but I don't care. There is an opening in the AFC East that has not been there for a decade. It has been, you know, what I'm just saying, you know, it, it, You know, as long as Tom Brady has been in New England, you know, the Patriots have won the division how many times, right? So you there's just never been that opening. Uh, obviously the great Jets win in the playoffs in New England was once uh, and it was now looks back and it's like it was a fluke. obviously the Bart Scott speech still one of the great speeches in sports history can't wait. but um, I, I, I just you know this is the Jets have an opening. Uh, you have to hope that their offensive line is there but obviously you know realistically uh, if they were nine and seven, I'd be happy, anything better and I'd be elated. Uh eight and eight or worse. And I just you know, you gotta think like, hey, look, you know, unless it's a unless it's a good eight and eight, like it's an eight and a hard fought eight and eight. We're eight and eight, but we played well, and you know that. Hey, we've got the building blocks in place, and it looks like you know next year we can really do something, and we're an eight and eight team on the verge. But if it's you know if it's another you know six and ten, very disappointing. Uh, and then the Knicks, I mean the Knicks, the Knicks are in, you know they just they're in limbo. I mean I don't I mean I like there's a lot of people. Oh, we didn't sign KD, we didn't sign Kyrie. Uh, That's okay. I I really wasn't that disappointed. Um, I kind of had hoped R.J. Barrett would have had a better rookie year than he did. Uh, He's a good player. I think he will be a good player. Um, They got lucky with uh, the center, uh, and I think he's a good, potentially good player uh, I did think that if you looked at the team after Fisdale left, uh, you know, I had hopes that Fisdale would be a good coach. He was not a good coach. They did not play defense for him. They had terrible perimeter defense. If you watch the Knicks regularly at the beginning of that season, teams lit them up from three. And in the NBA today, teams go in with a game plan to light you up from three. And if you don't defend the three, you cannot win. I went to one Nick game with our friend Al Tepper and – It was the Nuggets, and they, I think, had over 23 pointers. It was ridiculous. And, you know, so I think now if they can get a good coach in there, and I think this draft pick, you know, make a solid draft pick and at least see if, you know, with Robinson, Barrett, uh, Randall, if if they have something. You know, but they are. I don't think they're as dismal as you read in the Newsday or in the Post. But I do think that you know the problem with the NBA is the NBA is really competitive, and if you don't have two superstars, you can't really be a winning team. And if you don't have three superstars, I don't know how you win a championship. Uh, and the Knicks are a long way from three superstars. Yeah. So if you look at it that way. Um, you know, there's trouble.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go to that was great, and then you go to like the the two superstar sort of thing, Lakers two top ten players, Clippers two top fifteen players. You know, Bucks have Giannis, a top five player, plus the rest of their team is deep as hell. Celtics very young, drafted extremely well. I I'm a big RJ guy. I was a, more an, so an RJ guy over Jaw. I've now switched sides. Obviously, you've seen my Jaw. I rock the Josh shirt, the Grizzlies hat. I'm a big jaw guy now, and the but I th- I have faith in R.J. I just think I don't know if I have faith in him as the primary ball handler. I would prefer f- to see them maybe get Lamelo or Anthony Edwards in the upcoming draft. But I'm with you. I don't think they're as dismal as people think. I just think the NBA, like you're saying, is so competitive and to get into the play like they're not like I don't think they're that far from the magic. You know, I don't think they're that far away from the Orlando Magic, who's the eight seed, but the Magic are deep, the Magic are built, the Magic have players, and it's it's an older, they're an older team, a, a, a well more, you know, a well more established team together. Fournier, Vucevic, all have been playing together for a while, did it with Aaron Gordon, who's not young, and he was young, but he's still been in the league for a minute now. Even if you're 24 years old now, 25, you've been in the league at this point for six years, which is pretty crazy. Uh, to the Jets' point, it's... I'm a Darnold guy. We're both Darnold guys. The Penn State game is still one of the best games we've seen together in the living room. We watched it. And then I saw him live against the Longhorns where everything was going great for Texas. And at the end of the first half, he led them on a drive. They scored. And then when it got to the fourth quarter in overtime, he didn't miss a pass. It was unbelievable. And I was like, all right, this guy's going to be a pro. Um, but th- with the Jets, I, I think you're a weapon. I do think they're a weapon away. And I'm curious to see if if AJ Green becomes available, if the season goes in, the Bengals are bad. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they are like, oh, well, the Bengals are going to be good, or the Bengals will be competitive and decent. i like, I don't buy it, even if Burrow is solid. there's just To me especially, it's the NFL. The difference between the best team and the worst team is not that big of a difference. Um, but... They they play but they but it matters in on, on a Sunday you could, there could be one or two guy difference between the best of the but you need all eleven guys to be solid you can't have many holes in the NFL and the Bengals do have good players but there's still a lot of holes will they be will they be picking first I don't think so I think the Redskins are worse but I think they're still like the Dolphins I think retooled just as well as as the Bengals did if not better you know if you look at a lot of the teams at the top of that draft and it's the Giants are good maybe the, if the, the the if Stafford's healthy the Lions are good too so it's There's teams, there's not that much, there's there's very close. It's game of inches, really, roster-wise in the NFL. And the Mets, I think, to your point, I think the Mets did a good job but are in a good position. I think the polar bear is legitimate, you know, and the pitchers we've had on the show have said DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball, which I think he is. Now, a question for each of those teams for you. Where does DeGrom rank in pitchers you've seen? Like all, like all the pictures you've seen, we talk about this. We talk about this a lot, you and I. Is he? Is he hitting? Is he there? Is he? Can he? Does he have the potential to be Maddox, Glavin? I mean, the guys from my at least when I was growing up, you know, Smalls, Pedro, my guy, Clemens, the like, the Rocket, big unit, Randy. Is is he? Does he have the potential? Johan, even, Roy Holiday. Is he, is he in that level yet? Cliff Lee, Sabathia. Um, or does he still have a ways to go? Because I just feel like him, like Kluber, because they're more quiet guy. They're quieter guys than like Scherzer's a fiery competitor, so he he kind of gets the, the publicity and the spotlight. Don't get me wrong, Scherzer's got to be in that category along with Kershaw, but guys like Kluber, Granky, and even Degrom are quieter guys. So does that hurt him a little bit, or do you kind of put him? or Are you starting to put him in that category, one of the better pitchers you've seen?
1: Well, I'd like to see. Have listen, obviously he's got back to back. Cy Young's. That puts him in a very rare group already. Um, I think he's unbelievable, but I do think obviously, you know, the big number, and I don't think it should count as much in pitching today as it did when I was a kid, uh, the wins. Because now they pull guys, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the bullpen that you you know, and here if you look at DeGrom, particularly with the Mets, I mean, they were in ball games or winning ball games that he left. And they either couldn't get that run over to get the win for him, or more than that, blew the game. Uh, You know, he leaves the game giving up one or two runs uh, and doesn't get the win. I think one thing about DeGrom, which I, I am most impressed with, is that it's far and few between where you see the bad outing. I think that, you know, you see guys go in there and they have these great ERAs because they shut you out, shut you out, shut you out. But every once in a while you can get to him then. DeGrom is just consistently giving you nothing. One run, two run, one run, two run, shut out. You know, you're not seeing him get bombed. And if you are, it's it's rare. He had trouble at the beginning of the season, I think, and then he settled down and all of a sudden it was lights out. Um, I think he needs to do it for a couple of more years to really be in that, you know, class of, you know, if you start talking about a a Maddox, a Pedro, where they did it over a slightly longer period of time. Not much longer, but a slightly longer period of time. Uh, You know, obviously the great short period of time, Koufax, you know, completely dominant for five or or six years. Um, Ralph Kiner, uh, the... mm, former Met announcer, played for the Pirates. He had five or six years of home runs that were ridiculous. And just short—you know, there are guys that are had that short run. But I, I definitely—listen, he's got two Cy Youngs. He doesn't have to win another Cy Young, per se, but I'd like to see him at least—I mean, this year it hurt him. He's an old—you know, he's not a young guy, and he lost a year here. But I'd like to see, you know, two or three more just really good seasons— uh, and listen, if he wins, and if he wins a third Cy Young, I think then he's really in in in, in rare air. But uh, you know, I think it, I, he's 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 definitely phenomenal. I think he's just a guy to watch.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy. Like guys like Johan the Freak, they went two Cy Youngs, and they're not gonna probably they won't make the Hall of Fame. Like Johan Santana and Tim Lincecum won't be Hall of Famers. King Felix might even have some trouble now that he's really tailed off in his later years. You know. And it's interesting if DeGrom, let's say DeGrom does book in another Cy Young, but he doesn't necessarily have the numbers. Baseball, to me, just harps so much on the numbers versus, like, hey, if a guy is dominant for a certain period of time, they don't respect that as much. It's more of how, it's more of like a longevity thing, I think. You know, like you can't really ra- – like, don't get me wrong. I, Craig Biggio is great, played multiple positions. He's just really good. Maybe this is not even a great example, but he's a really great all-around baseball player. But I don't think there was a period of time where he was ever really a top. Was he ever, like, a top 15 position player in the league, top 10 position player in the league? He just was able to do it and do it on a consistent basis. So do you think that's fair for them to value that more so, the longevity aspect, than a guy like Johan? Okay, so maybe for he doesn't do it for 15 years, but for a six, seven-year stretch, he's, like, the best pitcher in baseball. The, Greek, the You know, Tim Lenskin, the freak, is for a five-year stretch the best pitcher in baseball. Is it fair to kind of poo-poo that? and say that doesn't count as much as a guy who may not be the best player but has been doing it for 15, 20 years and has the numbers because of accumulation?
1: I I think that's a fair question. Uh, There was a pitcher for the Dodgers, Don Sutton, uh, who was just, you know, very good pitcher, you know, number one, number two starter. No Tom Seaver, not even close. No Steve Carlton. I mean, just not in their class. Um, But he compiled – uh, and I think there's compilers, and I think that there's guys that are just dominant. And I do agree, you know, you have to do it for a certain amount of time. It can't be a short, short window. That's why I say I'd like to see DeGrom do it for a slightly longer period of time than this. But you you really, you know, I, I do think that the, compi- the one of the things about the Baseball Hall of Fame is, is there's a lot of compilers in there. Um, and I think a lot of it has to be... Watching the guy play. When you, in any sport, when you watch them play, don't just look at the stat sheet, watch them play. And if they're in there and while they are playing, are they, you know, that kind of player? I think like a guy like Dwayne Wade, who was always great, but when you started really, you start watching what he did and seeing his ability, you realize, man, this guy was great, but he's better than I even imagined. Like, I didn't realize, like, looking back, I was like, oh, this guy was even better than I thought. Uh, And there are guys, you know, that... um, I wouldn't call Biggio a compiler because he was a steady all-star... Um, you know, but, you know, you can, there are guys out there that, you know, compile those, you know, 3,000 hits or put together those 3,000 strikeouts, which is amazing how you do it. I don't know. You got to be great. You've got to be a Hall of Famer. But then there's a guy out there that has the 2,000 strikeouts that could have been phenomenal for, you know, eight years. And if you're great for eight years, you know... Who cares if you have 3,000 strikeouts? You know, and I agree with that. I think that there are certain guys that if they are that good, even though it's over a short period of time, or shorter period of time, in other words, if you did it for eight years but you didn't do it for 20, does that mean that you shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because you only were dominant for eight years? I mean, Jim Rice eventually made the Hall of Fame, but he had a 10-year run of 330 and 100 uh and then you know he slowed down or whatever but but the point is is for 10 years he simply was one of the best hitters in all of baseball for 10 years and eventually he made the hall of fame because of that and i think he's an example of a guy that shows you hey look if for 10 years you are you know i don't want to pitch to this guy or i don't want to hit against this guy this guy's dominant you know, then you're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, then there's the other end of that is uh, one of the best pitchers I ever saw was Dwight Gooden. Uh, you know, he was a guy where guys begged out of the lineup. They didn't even want to face him. But he fizzled. I mean, he was a that's, a, you know, a, a shooting star. And the shooting star probably does not get in the Hall of Fame. And, and you, ca- you can't do it for that short a period of time You've got to do it for a slightly longer period of time. It's got to be. It doesn't have. It shouldn't have to be twenty years, but you know, eight to ten years of dominance should really get you a good hard look.
0: Yeah, I think that's all great points. Really good. Just a question I've had. You know, I'm glad we could chop it up and talk about it because I've always like I always wondered, like, all right, because we we say all the time the Hall of Fame shouldn't be easy. Basketball's easy. Baseball's ridiculous, and the NFL's impossible. You know, and you you tell me that all the time when I ask is this guy, especially when I was younger, I would always pose the question. I feel, like, I feel like it's more of a younger kid type question because they see one guy do it for three years. They go, oh, my God, this is the best player I've ever seen, you know. But I still always wondered, like, okay, like, yeah, he didn't accumulate these stats, but he was great, and dominant for five. Like, Cliff Lee was, like, Cliff Lee was unhittable for, like, four or five years and then good for another four, like, where's that where like Paul Kanerka like was like Where's like the respect for some of these? I don't know. I, I, I'll never, uh, i never, I don't understand. Um. But yeah, those that that's what I had question wise for you. Glad you could kind of come in and fix your teams. Now at the end of every, every show, we do something and you love this. This is your favorite part of the show. And I, I have we done this with you? I don't think no, we haven't done this with you. So your favorite sports memory, it could be from you playing it could be from you watching. It could be from you watching me playing, which I don't think that's going to come from. I think that would be a far stretch. Um, anything sports-related, your favorite, favorite sports memory?
1: Well, I swam in high school. I have no fond memories of it uh, other than the friends that I made. Uh Mike, Mike, and Mitch swam with me. You know them, of course. They lifelong friends, and I swam with a bunch of really good guys over the over those four years. But I wouldn't put myself in in that class. Um, I've gotten to see uh, some amazing stuff and listen to some amazing stuff. You know, I was a little kid, um, and I listened to on the radio. Uh, you know, as I was lying in bed, uh, Fisk's home run in '75. I got to see Johnny Bench hit two home runs in the World Series in 76, which was unbelievable. Um, I got to one of the most amazing uh, football games I went to. I was with Rich Rosenthal. We went to see the Jets play the Dolphins. The Jets needed to win to get into the playoffs. It was the year of the sack exchange, and they stopped the Dolphins on the one, fourth and one, Abdul Salam tackled Tony Nathan and Richard Todd. Then led the Jets 99 yards for a touchdown to win the game. Someone blew up a car in the parking lot. You know, typical Jet fans. And I saw Andy Chavez's catch. Um, I saw John Starks dunk. Uh, I listened to the. Uh, I don't think anyone really not many people really heard it live the Miracle on Ice Uh, that was a tape delay Uh, but I listened to that and we were driving back from the city with my family and we listened to that on the radio and that was amazing and years later I got to meet Michael Ruzioni at a charity golf event which was really interesting I went with my friend Corey Zelnick and we uh, got to meet him and we actually sat down like had dinner with the guy and it was uh, spectacular but the Miracle on Ice was, was definitely something and I was thinking about like there's so many great uh, sports moments uh the Dolphins hook and ladder um uh, well, obviously anything with Wayne Gretzky uh they're just incredible stuff uh but I was just thinking uh because I knew we were going to talk today and there's one moment in sport that I really felt summed up what sport to me was about and it was when Phelps was chasing the eight gold medals and I really remember this vividly because uh, it was, to me, um, unbelievable. He was chasing the eight gold medals, and to win all eight, you know, some of those medals have to be in a relay. And the Americans were swimming in the 4x100 relay freestyle. Phelps, I believe, was the leadoff guy in that relay. And he gets out of the water, and then two other guys jump in. And when Jason Lezak was the anchor of that relay. And when Lezak is getting in the water, the Americans are losing. Um, I think everyone watching that, including myself, is not only thinking, oh, my God, the Americans are losing, but there goes the eight gold medals. And when I was a very young kid, I re- was very influenced when Spitz won his seven gold medals, and I just never thought that would be broken in my lifetime, and to see someone have a chance to break Spitz's record, I was really rooting for Phelps, and I just thought it was over. Uh, one thing uh, was that it was France that was ahead, and the anchor swimmer for France, I forget his name, Alan or Elaine something, and he was at the time the uh, 100-meter champion, and he might have even been the world record holder at the time in the, in the, in the, in the 100 meters. Uh, I certainly know that he was the 100-meter champion. And Lezak is getting in the water after him. He's a body behind him. And, he's, you know, it's two laps, and he's got to catch this guy, and it's over. It's not going to be possible. You know, they're rooting. Everyone is cheering. Uh, but you, you see this, you know, Phelps can't control it. He's relying on a teammate, which I think in sports is really the whole thing. Um, you know, the football catch on the helmet, um, Brady on the sideline and watching the interception. Uh, you know, well, Brady won the championship, but, you know, it, it, you know it, someone has to step up uh, to win, to win it, to win championships in every sport, it seems. And, and sp- swimming is a very individual sport, so it really rarely happens. But to win this eight gold medals kind of championship, he needed someone to to somehow rise up. And to me, that was the most unbelievable uh, clutch moment. Uh, I could, you know, and there's I could think of a lifetime of clutch moments. But it was just unbelievable. I, I do believe that Lezak set a record uh, for a at the time for a uh, relay 100 meters. I think he set a record for the time after the turn for the last 50 meters. And he beat the French team. He won. It was Lezak who made the difference in Phelps winning that eighth gold medal. Uh, and I think, I'm not sure, but I think You know, at some, right then and there, you see Phelps, ecstatic, scream out, that's what I'm talking about, or something like that. And just, you know, realizing, you know, this Jason Lezak, I mean, who knows who Jason Lezak is? No one. Um, This guy, for one moment, for that, you know, less than a minute, because that's a 100-meter swim, for that less than a minute, he made history. And everyone's going to remember that Michael Phelps won eight gold medals, but it took a teammate, it took a fellow teammate to make it possible and in an incredibly unlikely circumstance. And I just thought that was one of the just, it kind of like to me encapsulated a lot of the other great moments that I had seen uh in, in sports, you know, the buzzer beaters in a lot of the NCAA championships are not always the main guy. Uh, someone else hits it or someone else comes out of nowhere or someone else steps up and, and you know, has the game of their life. Uh, the um, MVP of the World Series is very often that other guy. You know, that, that, that third guy, that fourth guy, uh, you know, the 1986 Mets, the MVP of the 1986 Mets World Series with Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, Dow, Strawberry, and Dwight Gooden, and all the uh, and Ron Darling and all those guys, was
0: Ray Knight. It was Ray Knight. Steve Pierce from that Red Sox team, which, by the way, is, I think, and I'm not even saying this as a Red Sox fan, with Sale, Price, Porcello... You know, Ivaldi pitching as well as he did, E. Rod, and then that lineup of Bet M.V.P. with one of the all-time seasons, J.D. Martinez, who could have won it any other year. You know, Benintendi, Bogarts, Young Devers. It's Steve Pierce that wins the M.V.P. It's and then it's I think Zobrist when the Cubs do it. It's 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 a great point. And the whole thing with Lezak is the end's a buzzer beater because he beats him at the fingertip. It's a, it's an Olympic sport, so that just kind of always magnifies it. And it's a team aspect, and you don't get that. You'll never get that with swimming. And it's, he depended on another guy. He, Phelps needed, if it's in our outro, it's one of the great calls of all time. Phelps' reaction is the best part. And he's one of the greatest individual, him, LeBron, Michael, Brady, you know, Trout, Usain Bolt, Tiger, those are like Serena, those are like the all time greats. And he's in there. But like, it's, and you know, it's like MJ had Scotty. And, like, you don't really have that. And, like, Tiger really didn't have that. You know, you don't really have that in the individual sports. But for a moment, he did. And it's cool to see.
1: Well, right. And are we really talking about Michael Phelps with the seven gold medals the same way we're talking about Michael Phelps with that eighth gold medal? That eighth gold medal set him incredibly apart. Eight gold medals in one Olympics. Eight gold medals in eight events. It's unbelievable. It's not really believable at all. who would even think it's possible when Spitz got the seven gold medals, everyone was like okay, this will never happen again. this is not possible. And you know so you do, it's you know it basically the other guy changed history and you know made Phelps you know for that one moment Phelps was on his shoulders uh, and I think I only picked it only because I felt that you know you could find in every sport, that moment uh you know some super bowl mvp who you know you never thought was going to be that guy but he intercepted two balls and you know uh it's just the other guy uh you know i think um i think john taylor might have won a a super bowl mvp and not jerry rice i'm not sure i'm just guessing there but you know i always like to see that other guy step up and i always thought that that was one of the great moments because it's very fast it's under a minute and it's one of the great moments of the other guy you know making the difference and really writing history
0: you see, they they put the flag and the name up like one, two, three at the finish in the pool on the TV because you, otherwise you wouldn't be able to really tell it's so close. Unbelievable moment. We'll close out two minute drill. This is we haven't done this in a while actually with our guests. We've been taking it so seriously for some reason, and so this is so super fun. Toss actually, I don't know if you know that you toss delivers the tw- two minute drill. Yeah. But he usually does the two minute drill. Um, so this is me doing the two minute drill. So if it's not as good as usual, it's because Toss is not here doing the two minute drill. Um, but two minute drill with my dad, John Fisher, I'll say the question, give it a second because we only, only brought one mic home and I'll pass it back to you. So question number one, Harry Potter sorting house. What is your Harry Potter sorting house? Um, probably Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, come on, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, food wise. I went to college in Austin and now I live in Los Angeles, so selfishly we're talking about me right now. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin and your favorite restaurant in Los Angeles?
1: Um, I like, I, you know what? I really did like the Franklin. It was fun. Um, I liked waiting there. Uh, you know, you, I, and uh, Izzy waited on that line. We had a good time. We did have a good time that morning. Uh, got there really early, played cards, hung out. Uh, mom and family joined us, and... Uh, we had a great, great meal. I don't know if it's the best restaurant in Austin, but the Franklin was definitely a great experience in Austin, and I, I, I certainly liked it. Los Angeles. Um, oh, I forget the name of that place that Mom and I went. To. Oh, Republic. I liked it. I really liked it. We, Mom and I went there without you, uh, and we just had a really good experience there. There's a number of really good restaurants. We had a good time at Animal um, I haven't. Uh, where was that place we went to last time with you and Blake? That was really good. You guys had been there before.
0: We had been there. What kind of food was it? it
1: was like casual. You did most of the ordering, which ran up the bill tremendously. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was like a. It was almost like a plants hanging from the ceiling. Was brunch? No.
0: <sighs> that was the roost of, uh, no, I don't think we'd the been there. It the was puzzle? it. Oh, but but oh, I I love this place. Now, now you know what? You someone says something, you're like, oh, I love that song. You can never think that of it. Really good, yeah, the Israeli place. Yes. Yeah, uh, Bavel. yeah Yeah, it's great, unbelievable. I had never been there before. That was Blake had been oh, there.
1: Blake had been there. Okay, so Blake had been to Bavel. So I I want to say between Re- Republic and Bavel, those were two of the better better restaurants, definitely that we went to in in Los Angeles.
0: And for those who don't know, Blake is my sister. And then the aforementioned Izzy is my college girlfriend. Um, and then, so those are, okay, so Republic, which I haven't been to yet, so thank you for treating me to that meal um, in Los Angeles. And obviously Franklin's is something I go to once a semester. And for those of you who don't know, that is top-end barbecue barbecue spot in Austin. You have to wait forever. Maybe the country adds. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, okay, this is a debate. We know you like... LeBron over Jordan, that's been confirmed already, so we'll skip that. We know that's the case. We ask everybody that.
1: You know, I just want to say something. I mean, obviously, there's no sports on right now. And I watched The Last Dance, and it was a really, really good series. I enjoyed The Last Dance. It was definitely good, fun to watch. It was a good watch. Um, You know, listen, I'm not, you know, the idea that I think that LeBron, LeBron over Jordan, that doesn't mean that Michael Jordan wasn't the most dominant by far player. When he played the game, he was, he was, you know, he won championship after championship after championship, uh, you know, but I think the games, the players have just gotten better and the game's gotten better and it's tougher. And I do think that LeBron has shown, remember, he went to eight straight championships, maybe even, was it nine, maybe even nine straight championships, eight or nine. But the bottom line is, is yeah, he didn't, win. hey, come on now, you know, who'd he lose to? Who's he losing to? Would he lose to the Warriors? You know, good luck Bulls beating the Warriors. I'm sorry, Michael Jordan's Bulls, but, you know, come on now. Uh, You know, so, but, you know, and I think, like I said, I think this year with LeBron, had he been able to finish this year, and had he finished this year leading the league in assists, I think that would have shown a skill set that is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, you know he's not a point guard and he's leading the league and well, I'm just saying he's a point forward he's leading the league in assists what kind of basketball ability is that it's off the chart anyway that's that
0: yeah thank you know, I'm glad you elaborated so sports questions I have a baseball one football one and I have a basketball one alright three pitchers three lefties this is just a, a one that me and my friends have been debating Koufax Randy Johnson Kershaw Rankham
1: um, Johnson, Kershaw, Kofax, um, Koufax, unbelievable. Um, you know, for a very, very, very short period of time, I do think that there is a you know, if you look at Kofax inside Dodger Stadium and outside Dodger Stadium, he's a bit of a different pitcher. Uh, he obviously was incredibly dominant over a first for a short period of time. And I'm not, like, again, I'm not shortchanging Sandy Koufax uh, by comparing him to the other two guys. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people my age that aren't going to take Kershaw over Koufax. Uh, but, you know, you know, to those people, I say, look at Kershaw's first eight seasons. Just look at his, his first eight seasons are better, I think, than Tom Seaver's first eight seasons. And if you look at Tom Seaver's first eight seasons, you don't think it's possible. So if you look at Kershaw's first eight seasons and you see that they're better than Tom Seaver's first eight seasons, you really get a good idea of how good Clayton Kershaw is. Um, Obviously, I I just took Johnson only because they are, yes, he's a bit of a compiler, but he's a compiler who was also dominant. Um, And he did it for an incredibly long period of time and he didn't lose the dominance. It wasn't like he just compiled things over he was dominant for an incredibly long period of time the number of strikeouts is unbelievable um and uh you know i I just think that it was he's just was just that dominant obviously you saw he did it also i mean one thing i think that you know you can argue against kershaw and i said to this to you the other day both koufax and and Randy Johnson were big in the big games. And I don't think you've seen that with Kershaw, uh, and I think that's one strike against him. D- Randy Johnson has been dominant in big games, dominant, and uh, carried his team to the World Series, obviously, and through the World Series with, uh, uh, you know, what's his name? The Bloody
0: Sock. Uh, <laughs> Kurt Schilling, who would be in the Hall of Fame if he wasn't an asshole. Oh, um uh, nice. And I I know that, you know, one of the reasons I
1: really like Randy Johnson is because when we went to your sister's graduation at the University of Arizona, he was staying in the same hotel as us, we didn't know this, and you were too lazy to get out of bed and go to breakfast, and because you were too lazy to to get out of bed and go to breakfast, I met Randy Johnson and you did not... (laughs)
0: true and he's a great photographer now that's what he's been doing by the way in case you're curious Um, but that's unbelievable you got a good photo of him and you have a great photo of Clemens I had to find the Clemens photo somewhere do you have it? Some You have gotta it so it. you got to find the Clemens photo the photo yeah. bomb is amazing alright real quick here football basketball question your tops so you have it's LeBron and MJ one two who's three four five for you real quick three four five
1: um Magic Shaq Bird. I know I'm going to pay dearly for this. I mean, my favorite basketball player was Walt Clyde Frazier, but, you know, that's in bygone era. Um, he would not be the same player in, in this era. I mean, obviously, you know, Kareem and, and and you know, Russell and Chamberlain. Shaq at, at center was the most dominant force. Forget player. The most dominant force in the NBA Um, I think that with Shaq, if you look at some of his playoff numbers with the Lakers, where he's scoring 30 points and 20 rebounds, not once, but game after game after game, you get an idea of how good Shaq was. Bird and Magic, I mean, listen, Steph Curry's phenomenal, but I, I, I look to Bird and Magic, you know, that's a personal thing because I felt, you know, and I remember when the when the NBA was in trouble and the NBA was going to go out of business and there wasn't going to be an NBA and they didn't have good TV contracts and the NBA was, you know, as popular as hockey in the United States. I mean, it was just, a, it was not doing well. And Bird and Magic came into the NBA and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson Made it possible for Michael and Kobe and, you know, all Durant and all these players today, they saved the NBA. Uh, Magic Johnson, uh, when Kareem was hurt uh, in game six of the championship series, came in and scored 45 points at center. Unbelievable. And I lived in Boston. I went to college in Boston. I went to law school in Boston. I lived in Boston for seven straight years. Hated the Celtics every minute of it. But, you know, Larry Bird night after night. Buzzer beaters, everything. I think one of the great moments of the last dance is when the very good Pacers team scores and they think they've beaten and they're jumping for joy and they think they've beaten the Bulls. And they flash to the Pacers bench where Larry Bird is the coach. And when everyone else is smiling, Larry Bird is grimacing because he looks up at the clock and he sees we've left too much time on the clock and they have Michael Jordan. And he grimaces because he knows if he had that much time on the clock, he would win. And, you know, that's the kind of guy Larry Bird was. Just give me that, you know, three seconds and I'm drilling it. And, uh, you know, these are these are the great players that I got to see.
0: Great. Four more questions for you. Best college football, because we haven't gone to college football today, best college football player you've ever seen? Hmm. <sighs> Tim Tebow.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm thinking. Tim Tebow, Vince Young. Um, you know what? I'm going to say... And I know that I don't want to be biased to Texas, but I'm going to say that I've ever seen the best college football player I've ever seen was uh, in one season was Vince Young. Um, Vince Young single-handedly carried that team on his back. Uh, I know he didn't pan out in the pros. Uh, it's a different game. It's a different thing, but they beat the best college football team I've ever seen. Uh, undefeated for two previous seasons going into a third undefeated season having won the previous two championships going to three Pete in college football back back I think it might have been for three Pete you'll check that while I'm on the mic but they are un- unbeatable the the Trojans are unbeat the Trojans are Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and and all those defensive players Matthews I mean this is an un- this, this this team is unbelievable the, and, and Pete Carroll, you know, a great, great coach, great everything. And Vince Young somehow, and, uh, you know, Keith Jackson, who had seen a lot more college football than anyone I know. I was going for back-to-back. Going for back-to-back. Okay, it wasn't going for three-peat. He was going for back-to-back. Okay, but still, it was, they were unbelievable. Amazing. Unbelievable team. Um, and they, uh, he's, they, I think during the game, Keith Jackson referred to him as Superman. And that was probably as far as an individual college football player performance. um, The only one, the only other person I could think of is probably Bo Jackson. Uh, So it's either I, Vince Young or Bo Jackson. You know Herschel Walker. Also, I got. I'm starting to think now. Herschel Walker was absolutely phenomenal.
0: O.J. Simpson's your favorite.
1: But I didn't really get to see OJ play in college, so that's that's a thing. So you know, I didn't get to see, but but yeah, I, it, anywhere you know, Tebow, Vince Young, uh, Bo Jackson, and um, Herschel Walker, those those would be the guys.
0: Okay, mine is I think Reggie's better than all of them, but that's just me. But honestly, my favorite, really thinking about it, love McCaffrey. I think he's great. Cam New, Cam Newton is on another, yeah, and bow for me. But yeah, I think V.Y. V- is the man. Two movie questions. Your favorite regular movie, real quick, favorite movie, favorite sports movie?
1: My favorite regular movie is Jaws. You know that. Um, only because, yeah. oh, you know that? Okay, yeah, Jaws is my favorite movie. Um, I'm a big horror movie person. When I was a kid, I used to love chiller fe- theater and creature feature. And Jaws is basically, at its heart, a horror movie. Uh, With a monster, only the monster is almost somewhat believable. And I think if you watch Jaws and go to the beach the next day, I defy you to get in the water. But um, it's also, you know, Roy Scheider, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, um, Robert Shaw. You know, Spielberg directed it. Um, He hated it because there were some, you know, tough moments in the movie. But um, I, Jaws is Jaws is my favorite film. Um, Favorite sports movie. what do you think my favorite sports movie is
0: Yeah, I, I think your favorite I don't, I don't think it's close I, well I it's between two I actually so it maybe is close I would say it's either Hoosiers or Rocky yeah. I think that's what I would say I think that would have a better I think I would actually venture off to say Hoosiers was your favorite film or Rocky one of those two
1: and I, and I you know it's funny because I was hesitating whether to say Rocky or Hoosiers um uh, Hoosiers is my favorite sports movie. Yeah. Hoosiers is my favorite. I just, I just love Hoosiers. I am a sucker for it every time. Um, Gene Hackman's great in it. Uh, it's just a, it's just a really good movie. Obviously, there's a slight stretch of the truth, so it's not totally exactly how it played out, but it is very close to how it played out. So there's a truth element to it. Um, obviously, Rocky. You know, when Rocky came out when I was a kid, I mean, that was the movie. Um, you know, I like The Natural. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a ton of great, you know, when I was a kid, Slapshot was obviously very popular. Um, but, uh, there's, and, you know, I liked Miracle. That was that was good. But, uh, you know, as far as, like, just the top, I, you know, I've told you to watch Chariots of Fire. You haven't watched <laughs> that. Complete Strikeout by You. Uh, th- you know, there's a lot of great, great sports movies. Also, you guys did that documentary thing and I think you guys left out baseball by Ken Burns which is the best sports documentary set ever and when we were Kings which is the Ali Foreman fight which is one of the great sports documentaries of all time
0: it was all documentaries and I'm happy with my list when we were Kings was up there I actually admittedly haven't seen it since I was very young so I haven't seen it in a number of years so more recency bias and thinking about him, I, I think actually in all, I think, have you seen Free Soul? You saw Free Soul? Crazy. So, Super Size Me is great. It's one of the first documentaries i ever watched, period. Um, but yeah, Hoosiers, Rocky. I remember you made me watch Rocky one night as a kid. You're like, here, I rented you this movie. I threw a fit. I didn't want to watch it. The next day I was obsessed. I had to watch the, the next few. Uh, Rocky's great. Last question for you. We brought up Mets, Jets, Knicks. Those are your teams. You've since adopted, obviously, USC, Arizona, but those are my sisters. We're not dealing with them right now. You and I have adopted the Longhorns. That's our squad for college. Big Longhorns guys. We will root for. I obviously will root for Ohio State. I always have, but Longhorns are my team. No one roots harder than our my mother for the horns. But you and I, would you rather one of your three original New York teams win, or see the, the Texas Longhorns win a football title? Be honest. It's okay. I won't take offense. <sighs>
1: I mean, I just got to see the Mets go to a couple of World Series. I got to see the Mets win the World Series. Um, I was really too young to appreciate the Jets winning the Super Bowl. Um, I I love the—you know, I listen, I root for the Longhorns. I root for the Trojans. I root for the Wildcats every Saturday, big time. Um, uh, you know that I'm obviously following the, the Longhorns going into this season with Sam at quarterback. And, you know, obviously really pulling for them. And I think, you know, hopefully with the virus and everything, I think hopefully, you know, football gets played and they somehow, you know, can overtake Oklahoma for the Big 12 title. I think one of the problems that the Longhorns have is that going undefeated through the Big 12 is is just tough because there's there's nowhere to duck and hide. Um, And it's going to be tough for them to get to that championship because you almost have to be undefeated. And, uh, you know, if they can get in the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. Um, if they ever expand the playoffs, I think they'd have a better chance. But um, I'd like to see the Longhorns win, but a Jets Super Bowl uh, would, you know, that would that would be something, especially if it was Darnold. Uh, that would be great.
0: Yeah, double whammy with the USC. Dad, always excellent with you on the mic. Um, one, when the corona's over, you'll get to do it with me Toss and Nick hopefully in Los Angeles in the studio, the four of us would be great because I know you would love to talk shit to them and and, and talk about some sports with them and beat them to a pulp verbally. Uh, (laughs) We're brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100. They'll match your deposit up to $1,000. Go bet on futures. I won money on whatever the most recent thing. I won money on the Super Bowl and I won money on the Natty. Took all that and I won money on the draft and I put all of that money to, I'm not a big better, but I put all that money on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl this upcoming year. So if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, I get a good payout because Mahomes, to me, is, I hate to say it, through Mike Trout, the best player I've seen, do it at quarterback, skill-wise. But to the fans out there, drag both feet inbounds, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they free, and hit your free throws. Why, Dad? Free. Because they're free. We out ya, We love you. Happy Father's Day to everyone listening. Dad, thank you. You're the man. Appreciate you, brother. It up. Yeah. It's one. He got the show. Oh Derek Jeter, where
1: fantasy becomes reality.
0: Anything's possible. Anything's possible.